Take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 9, verse 25. Seeing is believing. And some of y'all are thinking, Michael, just a couple of weeks ago, you said believing is seeing. Seeing isn't believing. Well, both things can be true. And we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to see that in our, uh, our passage. Our memory verse this week, um, or this quarter... I think is next. Oh, no, this is part, uh, I, I changed the order. This is part of our series through John, uh, The Truth to Believe. We've been a, a lot of believing. We'll talk about the truth part of it eventually, though we've, we've hinted at that a little bit along the way. Our memory verse for uh, this quarter, pretty much we just have conjunctions and articles now, uh, so it's getting harder. Let's, let's see what we can do. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1.14. All right, that's pretty good. I'm, I'm actually kind of impressed with myself that I didn't mess it up. Um, chapter 9, verse 25. We read the whole chapter this week, and this is really one of my favorite stories from the New Testament. Uh, the, uh, part of it is, truthfully, i got to be honest, is the sort of tone of sarcasm of the, the guy in, in the third telling of the story when he's like, really? Y'all got me back again? Y- y'all y'all want to be disciples too or something? Um, love, I love it. it it's, just, it. it's just a great, great story. So I'm excited to get to talk about it. All right, uh, I'm going to date myself here, Gen X, of course, but a lot of y'all have, are familiar with it too. You know how I love movies. In the movie The Princess Bride, any Princess Bride fans? Any princess people who know what Princess Bride is, whether you liked it or not? Okay, good. There's a fella by the name of Miracle Max, played by Billy Crystal, thank you, name totally left me. It's a great, great character in a movie. He, at one point in the movie, sort of the, the, uh, the, the turn in the movie where we, we start getting toward the, the climax in the end, there's probably a word for that. You, you literature people can tell me what it is. He, he p- declares that the hero of the story, Wesley, is only mostly dead. Right? That, that's what he says, because... Um, the guy Mandy Patinkin played, Inigo Montoya. How could I forget that? Because that's his name. His name is Inigo Montoya. He says, the Miracle Max says, well, I'm going to ask him what there is to live for. What, what's, what's the point? And Inigo says, how are you going to ask him? He's dead. And he, he responds to him, uh, he's only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead, right? Well, that's what I thought of when the man in verse 25 says, I once was blind, but now I see. Because to quote Miracle Max again, oh, look who knows so much, eh? In truth, the man could see, but, but not all the way. He, 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 he could only mostly see. And for him, though, like I said a couple of weeks ago, believing is seeing. For him, 
seeing would be believing. Yes, when he told the Pharisees, I once was blind, but now I can see, he was right. To an extent, he could only mostly see. You'll, you'll see what I'm talking about as we move through it. Our big, our big idea this morning, when Jesus shows you who he is, that's his invitation for you to see him and believe. That's very experiencing God-ish, isn't it? You, you should hear the, the echoes of when God shows you where he's working, that's his invitation for you to join him in that work. Well, it, it, with all credit to Henry Blackaby, when Jesus shows you who he is, that's your invitation or his invitation for you to see him and believe. And that's what we get with this man born blind. We're going to talk about the whole chapter at some points, but our, our focal passage this morning is verse nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 25. He answered the question, he answered the Pharisees the third time they, that he's given this story. Whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. It's a, it's a great, great testimony. And I think in this passage, and certainly in the entire chapter, we see the mystery of Jesus. We see the, um, the well, I lost it, the miracle of Jesus. And we see the magnification of Jesus. Yes, three points, and they alliterate. I am, I am on my way to being a real Baptist preacher. First... We see the mystery of Jesus. You see the guy when he's asked the question from the Pharisees, uh, give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. They're, they're not really looking for answers from, from him. They've made their mind up. They've heard the story once back in the beginning of, of uh, chapter 9, or at least we have, when, he, when his neighbors and family asked him about it. And then they were brought, he was brought before the Pharisees, and they asked him uh, about it, and he gave the story again. And then they talked to his parents. Ah, oh, surely he's not been blind. Yeah, we were there. He is. And they bring him back in. They say, well, really? Now, come on, come on. Tell the truth. That's what the phrase, give glory to God, means. You're under oath at this point. Tell us the truth. We know that this man is a sinner. By implication, he could not be a prophet then because that's what the blind man said in his first testimony to the Pharisees. They said, who do you think he is? Well, he's a prophet. I mean, he healed me. Well, you, we know he's a sinner. You do too. Tell the truth. And his response, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. Remember, he has not met Jesus he knows it was Jesus. He knows the name of the guy who did it. He, he, but Jesus put mud in his eyes, uh, spit and mud in his eyes, and sent him to the pool of Siloam to wash. And when he washed, he could see. And that's the last time we see the two of them together until later on in verse uh, 35. His answer here is, is kind of like what... I told you Alistair Begg said, uh, I told you a few weeks ago what Alistair Begg said about the thief on the cross. When he, when he gets to heaven 
and they ask him why he's there. Is he, uh, you know, does he understand what it means to be saved? Justification, all those questions that, that if you go to the, the church's Facebook page, you can see the, the clip. And he says, no, I don't, I don't have any of those answers. I just know the man on the middle cross said I could come. That's, that's his, only, his only answer. I, that, I thought of that as well with this guy. He's like, I don't know. I don't know. His name was Jesus. I think he's a prophet. Y'all say he's a sinner. I don't know. I don't have a clue about the guy. That really wasn't his concern either. He didn't, he didn't really care. He just knows the guy showed up and did something great, but I don't want to give away the surprise. Y'all, there's a lot that as believers we can't explain. If, if you memorized the Bible and memorized ten different commentaries on the Bible, and you could answer every factual question about the Bible, you still wouldn't understand God. You would, still wouldn't understand, for example, the Trinity. How we can have one God, three persons, be monotheists, not polytheists. How they connect, how, how Jesus could then come to earth and take on flesh, be 100% God and 100% man at the same time, never lose his divinity, never lose his humanity, but somehow those two things coexist, work together. We can't explain those things, not adequately. We can come up with analogies that sort of help us, but inevitably lead to a wrong answer, a heretical answer, if we're not very, very careful. We can't explain those things. People ask us questions. They don't, and we just don't know the answer to it. Jesus is a mystery. How he did what he did. How salvation works. I mean, we, we know he took our sins, but, but how? Our sins were placed on him, but how? We don't know. Jesus is a mystery. But there's also the, the mystery of being found. The man wasn't looking for Jesus, and as we read the story, at the beginning of chapter 9, it just says, as he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. There's no indication that Jesus was particularly looking for this guy. Of course, we know in the providence of God that this was exactly what was supposed to happen, because when Jesus answered the question, who was the sinner that this man would be born blind, his parents or him? What's Jesus' answer? Neither. This is so God can get glory. In God's providence, Jesus passes by. So it's no accident. But it is a mystery that, that happened at that time. The woman at the well, she wasn't looking for Jesus. She was looking for water. She was looking to be alone and get a drink. And here's this Jewish guy sitting at the well that this Samaritan adulteress has to walk up on. She wasn't looking for him, but 
he was looking for her. Again, in God's providence. Whether it looked like an accident or not, it wasn't. The cripple at the pool in chapter 5 or 6, the pool of Siloam. He wasn't looking for Jesus. He was looking for help to get in the pool. He was looking for that false hope of if the water stirred, meaning if the underground spring bubbled, which is all it was, that he could get in real quick and be the first, according to the superstition, to touch the water and therefore be healed. He wasn't looking for Jesus, but Jesus was looking for him. None of us, when we were found, were looking for Jesus. Oh, we might call ourselves seekers. We, we may have grown up in church and, and, and been a part of all the things that were going on. And we knew all the stories. And, and, but, but when Jesus showed up in our lives, called us to himself, it was him doing it. Jesus is here. Well, that's, that's what he came to do, right? I, I believe it's what he uh, told some folks just a couple of chapters back. I, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. And the curious thing is most of the time that which was lost didn't know it was lost. Jesus is a, is a mystery. The miracle of Jesus. The guy goes on to say, uh, after the mystery portion of whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. Incidentally, let me answer the question, Jesus was not a sinner. He never sinned. He was the only person who's ever lived and never sinned. So just in case you were wondering, or you just wanted me to stay, say it out loud so you could, okay, he doesn't believe he's a sinner. We get to the miracle of Jesus. The guy answers, I, I don't, who he is, what he is, I don't know. Here's the one thing I do know. I was blind. Past tense. I was blind. At this point, Jesus shows up. He passes by. Who did this? Him or his parents? Nobody. God so that he could get the glory. And he shows up, and he says to the man, we must, uh, or it says to his disciples, rather, we've got to do these works that we are called to do. Verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Just very quick, little foreshadowing. He's already told us and this is still the tabernacle, Feast of Tabernacle, right? This is still going on. It's the tail end of that. The, the tabernacle uh, uh, discourse, this would be called, or the temple discourse. And he, so he's reminding them one more time. I just told you in chapter 8, he didn't say in chapter 8. I just told you in chapter 8 that I was the light of the world. I'll tell you again, I'm the light of the world. And, and you know how you know I'm the light of the world? I'm about to bring, according to God's providence, so that he gets the glory, I'm about to bring light into this guy's darkness. But he's going to do the physical light to the physical darkness first. And in doing so, he showed the man who he was. 
Because as, as we read this, especially the, the third part, the third testimony, verses 30 through 31, he says, this dude's got to be from God. Sinners, the way you're, you Pharisees are calling sinners, they can't do this sort of thing. Nobody ever heard of a guy being born blind, being healed as an adult. Or whatever age he was, they, were, they considered him an adult because his parents are going to say, or have said a little earlier, y'all got questions, ask him. He's of age, he's an adult. Y'all ask, why are you asking us? Jesus showed him who he was. Seeing. He saw Jesus. Now, actually, technically, not yet, Right? He went to the pool, washed his eyes, he could see, and he was gone. He knew that Jesus did it. He knew the name of the guy. So he, to an extent, figuratively, if not literally, has seen Jesus. But the miracle, next slide please, Pat. The miracle is what he's talking about. Lee Bird was studying, the, I assume, studying the lesson yesterday morning, and he texted a, a few of us, and, and he may have just been quoting the book, or this may be his words. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I'm just always excited when somebody texts me and says, hey, I was reading, and this is what it said, and they're getting excited about it. So I share it with you. He said, as much as the religious leaders tried to discredit the blind man who was healed, and the healer, they couldn't deny the radically changed life, nor the fact that only God could do something so wonderful. People can shoot holes in our doctrine, but they can't deny our testimony and the work of God. What I love about that, other than this is just somebody in the church who learned something, text me, hey, this is what I learned, is that I had already written in my notes three or four days earlier your testimony of how Jesus changed you is your most powerful proof of the power of the gospel. I'm going, see, this is what God's doing this week. Ain't no doubt in my mind anymore. Your testimony, your miracle in your life is the most powerful message, the most powerful apologetic, and I say apologetic not as an I'm sorry, but the original meaning of apologetic a defense, that is your most powerful defense. That is your most powerful statement against questions that come up. Jesus is a mystery. You can't explain the Trinity. Can't do it. You can't explain how God could be both uh, divine and human. You can't do it. You can't answer all the questions... That there are people ask, well, what about all the people in, in other countries that have never heard the gospel? Where do they go in there when they die? And why is it fair that they don't get to be saved if they haven't heard? And nobody told them. Or the people, well, if God is good, why is there evil in the world? Commercial. April 1st and 2nd. Jamie Dew is going to be here. Jamie Dew, the president of New Orleans Seminary. And going to lead us in a weekend revival, we'll, we'll call it that, that's fine, um, a, a, a weekend uh, conference, uh, y'all won't come if it's a conference, um, a weekend of preaching and worship, there we go, 
Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. We're calling that weekend Deep Doubts, Deeper Faith. Because he's going to be preaching on the problem of evil. How can there be evil in the world if a good God exists? The existence of God and the divinity of Jesus. Glad it's him and not me. I heard him preach these three messages back in September. And immediately I said, our church has got to hear this. This is good stuff. Because he is phenomenally intelligent. Uh, He preaches scripture. He defends all this from scripture. But he also defends from nature and other things. He's a philosopher at heart. And yet when he preaches, he preaches in a way that you don't have to be a philosopher or a theologian to understand what he's saying. Y'all, y'all do, do not want to miss this weekend. It's April 1st and 2nd. We've got a little time to prepare, but I want to let you know that that's happening. He's trying to answer these hard questions. Now, there will be people that will hear Jamie's answers to the questions. I don't believe it. Or they will still have their opportunities to shoot holes. That's okay. That's okay. Because no matter how they can argue against the existence of God or the, about the problem of evil or the divinity of Christ, how that doesn't work, they can never argue with what Jesus has done in you. They can't argue that. Especially when it is so evident to everybody that's around you. Y'all, this is why Jesus said to his disciples, they, are, they will know your disciples by your... L-O-V-E, love for one another. Not by how much you know. Not by how strong you are doctrinally. Not by how you can defend the, the Trinitarian view of God. Not how you can explain the hypostatic union between the humanity of Christ and the divinity of Christ. Not by any of that. They will not know your disciples by that, but how you love one another. And how can you love one another? Because you've been changed. You've been reborn. My life has been rearranged. Anybody recognize the song? What a difference it made when the Lord came and stayed in my heart. Oh yes, I've been changed. That's how they know. And they can't argue with the change. Oh, they might. Well, you just will-powered it. And, and, and okay, Yeah, but if you know me, you know I don't have the willpower to give that up. You know that I can't love that person because I want to. But only by the power of Jesus in me. Your testimony is your most powerful explanation. Now, lest you say I'm weakening scripture, the gospel is the power of unto salvation. It is the Holy Spirit that draws people. It is Jesus doing the seeking. So we share the gospel with people and we share our testimony. We share our testimony to give ourselves the credibility to them, but the gospel is the power to change hearts. Your testimony doesn't change hearts. Your testimony tells them, oh, okay, there is some self-evident truth to this 
but it's the gospel that changes them. Okay, we don't get that. Your testimony isn't the gospel, right? The gospel is the gospel, but your testimony is a proof of the gospel. The gospel changes. I actually used to worry that I didn't have a good testimony. I got saved as a child. I grew up in church. Uh, at the age of 10, I wasn't a drug dealer. I uh, wasn't in jail. You know, I, I didn't have the, the, the great testimony that, that I, as a teenager and college student, heard at conferences and camps and, and church. Didn't have those things. So I thought, well, my, my testimony really doesn't matter. And, and there may be some of you that are the same way. Like, I don't have a testimony. Yes, you do. Because it takes just as much Holy Spirit power to save someone out of something as it does to save them from something. What do I mean? Well, I wasn't saved out of a life of drugs or prison or whatever, but that doesn't mean I didn't have the opportunities to go down that path after my salvation, as I got into my teen and college and adult years. But because of the Holy Spirit in me, because of the saving work of Christ, because of the constant redirection of Jesus, I was saved from those things. I didn't do a lot of those things. Some of them I did. I tried and and the Holy Spirit worked in me to keep me from them, to pull me out of them. That's a testimony, y'all. Well, you just didn't do it. No, you don't understand. I wanted to do it. I didn't just not do it. The Lord saved me from those things. You don't know the inside me. You only know the outside me. And the outside me says, oh, well, pfft, he didn't do any of that. Whatever. No, the inside me says it, it took Jesus and only Jesus to keep me from those things. So, if that's your testimony, that's a wonderful testimony. That is a testimony to the power of Jesus to save. This guy didn't know it when he said... One thing I do know, I was blind. When he said this, he didn't know that he was, in fact, still blind. Uh, Miracle Max would say he could mostly see. He was seeing, right? He, he, he saw colors and people and the faces of his parents for the first time and the beauty of the, the temple and looking out over the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives and he saw all of these things and was amazed by them. He could physically see. He was seeing, but at this point he wasn't believing. But Jesus knew it and Jesus wasn't done. And we see, finally, the magnification of Jesus. Turns out there are very few words that start with an M that are a synonym of seeing. But magnification, when we just sang, Christ be magnified, it's a pretty good choice of the one word. The only option I had. The man says, I, I once was blind... But now, and now, I can see. See, remember, I told you, he knew it was Jesus. He knew the name, but he really didn't know who Jesus was. 
Oh, he knew, right, the answer. He's a prophet when they asked him. He didn't say he was the Messiah. He didn't say he's our Savior or anything like that. He's a prophet. Best thing he could come up with. The prophets, I've heard the stories, they healed. This guy must be a prophet. And then, verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out. And when he found him, this time, this time there's no doubt Jesus was looking for him. Beginning of the story, as they were passing by, verse 35, when he found him, Jesus wasn't done. Jesus had given him visual sight. Jesus had physically healed him. But listen to the guy's testimony in front of the Pharisees when he says in verse 29, nope, 27, you don't want to become his disciples too. Hold on, man born blind. I wish they'd given him a name. So we can call him man born blind. Hold on, Pharisees. You don't want to be his disciples also to like me. See, Jesus showed up in his life and did something. And already, he's a prophet. I haven't seen him. I haven't talked to him, but... I want to know more about this guy. I, I want to, I'll, I, sure, I'll, yeah, I'll say it. I'll, I'll identify with this guy. You, you don't want to be his disciple the same way I am. All that's happened is Jesus has shown up in his life and, and healed him. And then, in verse 35, Jesus shows up and really shows the blind man who he is. He's not just some traveling prophet and healer. Oh, he is so much more. Jesus didn't just want to fix his physical eyes. He did. Jesus wanted to heal. Jesus wanted to help people. That is part of not only the gospel message, but it is part of the work of the church to help people, to, to bring them out of their situation, uh, their bad situation as best we can and as much as we can. Jesus wanted to do that too, but he, did never, he never wanted to stop there. It was always to the man at the pool, be careful you don't sin and get back in the same situation, to the woman at the well, Go and call your husband. Let's talk about that. Oh, that's right. You've, got, you've had five husbands and the one you're with isn't one. And she believes. That to, to the, in the, the story of the, uh, of the adulteress caught in the act that we talked about last week. Go and sin no more. It was never just, I'm going to fix your situation and that's it. It was always with a purpose. And that's what he did here. He didn't just want to fix his physical eyes, but his spiritual eyes. And to fix his spiritual eyes, it took Jesus showing himself. Okay? So the mystery was that Jesus found him. The miracle was that he did something for him. But the magnification was that he showed up to the man and said, It was me. You need to get to know me. And we find that sometimes seeing is 
believing. Verse 38, uh, or rather, uh, let me back up. So he sees him. Jesus asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Interesting way to put it, but the guy gets it. Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus answered, you have seen him. That would have been a stupid answer just a few days before. If he had walked up to the blind man and said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he said, who is he that I might believe him? And if Jesus had said, you've seen him. Well, no, he hadn't. I ain't never seen nobody. I'm talking to you. Maybe that would have worked. But now he gets to say to the guy, you've seen him. Because you can see. And I'm both. I'm the one who healed you. And I'm the son of man. You've seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. That actually implies that somewhere in all of this conversation, Jesus had been in front of the guy, but the guy didn't know who Jesus was. You've seen him. I've I've, I've been around you. Maybe he was in there with the Pharisees. Maybe he just saw him later on after he healed him. Who knows? Man, you've seen me, but now you get to really see me. You've physically seen me. But now here I am. See me with your inside eyes, your your spiritual eyes. Because seeing is believing. And the man says, I believe. And he worshipped him. He saw. He believed. And he worshipped. Some of y'all need to see this morning. And you need to believe. And you need to worship. But verse 38 also shows us that believing was seeing. Right? He, he, he saw him. He believed. Then he saw him for who he really was, and he worshiped. See, when Jesus shows up and he does something in our lives, and he will, especially to those of us who are running from him right now. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you have, but you're running from him anyway. When he shows up, he will do something to get your attention, to snap you out of it, to slap you around a little. Wake up! And when he does, and you, ah, you see him, then you'll believe who he is. You'll believe, and then you'll see him for who he really is. See how it's both? Believing is seeing, seeing is believing. Even before this, though, I already talked about it. Verse 17 the man magnified Jesus to the Pharisees. Again, they asked the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet. He's no mere man. Y'all, I can't tell you exactly what he is, but he's not just a dude. Okay? He's something special. Then we get to verses 30 through 33, and he really magnifies Jesus. He's teaching these Pharisees because they even say, Oh, you think you're going to teach us now, Mr. Smarty Pants? Who's so smart now? 
That's what Miracle Max would say. He is schooling them. He is magnifying Jesus. Folks, if you have seen Jesus and believed, if you have believed and then truly seen Jesus, and if you've believed, you will truly see Jesus, then not only is Jesus magnified to you, but you must magnify Jesus to others. If you take the living water, living streams will flow out of you. If you receive the light and believe, then you will be like a city on a hill, like a lamp on a lampstand. If you see and believe, if Jesus is magnified to you, then you are called to magnify Jesus to others. It doesn't matter where you are. Right now, much of Christianity may be a mystery to you. You're confused. You don't have answers. You're, you're a young Christian, a new believer, and you're going, wait, what? What is he talking? Hypostatic union. Don't worry about it. It's okay. Maybe you're not a believer. And this really is just, what? Jesus shows up. I, I believe Jesus has shown up this morning. I believe he showed up in our worship. I know he shows up when we open his word. We're, we're, we're talking about him, we're reading about him. Jesus shows up in the message. When, Right, the, the, the servants of the, the chief priests, of the, the Pharisees, when they are supposed to go and be trapping Jesus, they go back in verse, in chapter, I believe it was 8. They go back to their bosses and say, we, we, we couldn't do anything because we've never heard a guy teach like this. Never spoke a man as he speaks. I'm not talking about me. Sorry. I'm talking about Jesus. We read the scripture, and as the mystery of Jesus is revealed, the miracle is we hear Jesus speak, and we find never has someone spoken like this before. Jesus shows up in a, in a healing that you weren't expecting in your life, a, a provision of something that you didn't think you were going to get, a, a, a feeling, yes, an emotion that you can't explain away. Jesus shows up out of the mystery and does a miracle so that he will be magnified in your life. He shows up so you will see and believe. This morning, I pray you've seen. I pray that you come to scripture, you've come to Scripture and you have seen Jesus, but the ball's in your court. John, uh, Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. Our, our sinfulness brings about our, our death. 
regardless of whether our parents sinned or we sinned, as it pertains to physical ailments and that sort of thing, our sin condemns us away from God for eternity. The wages of sin is death, but God does not want to leave us there. God wants to show up. The gift of God is eternal life. God shows up, shows himself to us, and says, I want to fix the problem. I've got the fix for the problem. I've got the gift you need, eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord, the light, the water, the the, the mystery, and the miracle, and the magnification shows up in Jesus. And we just have to respond. We drink, we receive the light. We believe. We take the next step. Whatever that step is in our personal lives. Maybe it is to trust Jesus as your Savior. Accept salvation by faith. Maybe it is to follow in believer's baptism. The next step. Maybe you've trusted Jesus, but you've never been scripturally baptized. You want to take care of that. Conform your life to Christ. Maybe you are someone, a believer, a follower whose life does not magnify Jesus the way it should. You need to submit to God's plan and purpose in your life. Follow him. Maybe he's standing in front of you, believer, and saying, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And like Peter, Yes, of course I do, of course I do. Of course I do. And he says, you know it's me, right? And maybe you just need to fall down and worship this morning. Re-realize what you believe. I hope you'll share any decision that you've made with us. Connection card, online, send us a message or an email. We'd love to hear and celebrate with you. Maybe you have questions this morning. In a few minutes, we'll have a a time of reflection, a time of response. Chelsea will be over here to my left. I'll be over here to my right. A couple of our deacons, Lee and Kirk, will be in in the back. Justin, our our youth minister, will also be in the back. Any one of us would love to pray with you about a decision that the Lord is leading you to make, whatever that decision is. Or maybe there's something else you need prayer for. We'd love to pray with you about that. Maybe you need to fall down and worship to the Lord, and it needs to be up here. It doesn't need to be you standing back there because you can hide, and and you can keep people from knowing that the Lord's doing something in your life. Maybe you need to be bold about that and bring it up here. Nothing special about these steps. It's, It's wooden carpet. That's all. There is something about bringing it figuratively to an altar and laying it down. Saying before the Lord and your church family, work on me. Yes, Lord, I believe.
Let's pray. Father, thank you for, for the miracle of Jesus. Lord, we will never unravel the mystery. We'll never completely understand it all. And just as much of that is a miracle that, that, that I mean, it is just as much a miracle that, that we understand anything. But we certainly understand enough to believe and to worship. By your Holy Spirit, you draw us to that. You, Jesus, you show up. You get our attention with something. And we respond. Lord, I pray this morning that every person in this room will respond. The responses will be different. But I pray every response is directed toward you. And Lord, if there is anyone here who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, they will, this morning, admit their sins, believe in Jesus, and choose to follow him for the rest of their lives, committing their hearts to him. Lord, this is your church. These are your people. This is your time. This is your work. Lord, work around the feeble messenger and go straight to the heart of every individual, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.